Welcome into the Orlando Drummer Podcast, Episode Seven. These are flying by, man. I can't believe we're on Episode Number Seven. Wild, oh, isn't seven. It? Oh, it's a beautiful number. It's a lucky number. Lucky number. It's a lucky episode, I suppose. <laughs> well, not too lucky. Uh, we uh, <laughs> we want we wanted so badly to make drum news a segment, but. It's tough, man. I mean, it's a, not an industry with like news just bubbling out of it all the time. So yeah. a little uh, little skim again on the drum news today. Yeah, no controversy, and we're 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 just on kind of the beginnings of like Nam season. So with product announcements and everything, it's just yeah. kind of slow going when you don't have the actual expo going on. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, that would really be an awesome. Ah, man, you could do. I, people do that actually. What am I talking about? People do Nam podcasts yeah. all the time. It's a really good place to do that. I feel like I'm the first person to have thought of it just right now. <laughs> I've uh, actually done podcasts at Nam before. It's a really cool environment for that because obviously, tons of news. But well, we do have one cool thing to kick off today. Yeah, we do. Uh, if you use code ODPC, all capital letters, uh, that's our new podcast promo code, and you yeah. can get 25% off your first two months on OrlandoDrummer.com, which yeah. is super exciting because it's cheaper <laughs> it's <Yeah>. great <laughs> absolutely it, it's already a great value for the money that you pay for the website and any percentage off can just further bring that value up sure it's, it's great yeah it's absolutely awesome. and of course you can still do a free trial you don't even have to pay anything until your free trial is complete so hop on for seven days use the code if you decide to stick around 25 percent off your first two months only for our podcast listeners uh, that code is on the screen now and if you're listening we'll put the code in the description of wherever this podcast is but odpc we'll leave that live for a couple months so enjoy hop on check it out and that'll be our uh that's our sponsor for the day yeah yeah we it's the only sponsor ourselves. we'll ever have so <laughs> get used to it you know? <laughs> cool all right um very excited uh it's a newer segment that we got uh, from the podcast, the second time we're doing it. It's called Player Puzzle. Player Puzzle. It's yeah. a cool one, man. It's a lot of fun. People love this too. It's yeah. it's a blast. It is it is fun. The, the fact that we've gamified the drumming yeah, industry that is, is, yeah. is great. We I made also, a game show. Well, I also like it that we hide it from them because there were people that are like, oh, I got it. Like right when you, got, you know, <laughs> play it along too. It's a lot of fun. There were other very confident people that were like, I got it from the audio. I knew it immediately. <laughs> yeah, what an easy thing to say after we already posted the <laughs> the, the pre-recorded edited podcast. Congrats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's still a lot of fun. So this is our first drummer. Okay. Okay, so I have a guess based off of the concepts that I heard, like the triplet concepts, and then a lot of that really like chunked out inverted double stuff with the kicks attacking with it. Mm. What, what's throwing me off is that my guess 
I know what that guy's kit sounds like and his recording setup sounds like. And this is more of like, is it an iPhone video? Mm. The audio isn't like super dialed in. That's why I'm thrown off because it doesn't match the kit sound that I know from this guy. So, okay. I'll, uh, huh. I'll, I'll hold on to my guess until let's get, let's get a fun fact and see, see if we can narrow this one in. Fun fact. A strong suspicion. So this drummer, um, forced himself to learn another language just to do clinic tours in another country. JP Bouvet. Hey! I knew it. That was my, that was my guess. Yep. Mr. JD Boovster. Uh, JP Bouvet. No, yeah. That's <laughs> in my notes. I've disguised these things from Adam just in case he peeks at my notes. <laughs> JP Bouvet is JD Booster. JD Booster. Uh, <laughs> that's a dope name. <laughs> uh, yes, he did learn French to be able to do clinics in France. Yep. I remember uh, hearing that on um, several years Mono ago. Radio podcast. Yeah, that's right? exactly where I got that from. Yep. Uh, him and Chris Brewer did a little bit of talking about that. It was very, yeah. very cool. Um, if you want, I can show you a kit photo. Yeah, but you already, throw I the mean, kit photo yeah, up anyway while we are, we're doing them all. We already not? know. We already know who it is. But yeah, it's interesting. The uh, his audio setup. I don't know exactly what it is. I feel like he just rocks like a two to four mic setup. Yeah, in that one particular room, and uh, it's not quite as raw as that. That sounded much more like an iPhone type video. I also was yeah. trying to discern if it was a DW kit, but I mean, good luck doing that through like iPhone audio, right? So that that's why I was a little thrown off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, super like uh, minimalist, modern setup for sure. Was he play 12, 16? Pretty normal setup, to be honest. Um, like nothing over the top, but uh, yeah, he's a um, badass drummer, man. I don't know how, he had a couple of like specific mannerisms that, that I could identify really quickly. That was interesting to hear some of those, but awesome drummer, man. Absolutely incredible player. All righty. And so we'll move on to drummer number two. Sure, who we got? Player Puzzle 2. tough so my first guess was eric and proda that was my first mm. guess but i'm gonna say it's not him having listened further in the chaos and the aggression was what first made me think it was eric and proda but then 
And, oh, I love you, Eric. I don't mean for this to be offensive. There was, like, ideas that he wouldn't play mm-hmm. in there. There was, like, way more advanced triplet stuff and real, like, kind of drunk drumming. There was a drum and bass sort of section. Um, then the dynamics had this weird range to it. So somebody with, like, a lot of aggressive tendencies in their playing, but they're also not stuck in a metal box because there was, like, two or three other things played that weren't metal or even, like, rock-oriented at all. So that could go a few different directions. Okay, we're mm. definitely going to need another another hint on that one. Mm, all right, so fun fact about this drummer. They received the Louis Armstrong Jazz Award, which is a prestigious award that recognizes a musician's level of musicianship, character, and individual creativity. Okay, I, I think I know who it is now. Mm. I think so. But this person who I'm thinking of, maybe you already know, this person is... Such a notorious chameleon that I can't realistically get because they could sound like anybody. If you told this drummer, like, hey, play like in this style, he could do it and then convince you that that's what he had been studying for the entire time. So I think I know who it is. Uh, My hint to everybody watching, we're going to say MG. If you have a guess, that's my guess too. But let's do the kit photo and see if we can nail this one down. All righty, kit photo coming right up. Ah, okay. So my guess was Garska, but that's wrong. Oh, very wrong. Very, very wrong, wrong. I was just hearing the like weird eclectic mix of everything, right? Like the super, super high speeds, double bass hurtas, drunk drumming and like more modern fusion-y type stuff. I'll tell you what I'm most thrown off by here is, well, Sabian, first of all, mm. I mean like... Who plays a Sabian Sabian setup on a kit that big? Remo DW hardware. That's a DW kit. So, ah, and then what are those pads on the far left? Maybe some Elisa's pads, something like that. Huh. I gotta be honest. I think I'm. I think I'm pretty well stumped on this. Yeah. One. You got me. You got me. I really don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it only took two episodes. <laughs> we stumped him. All right. Who? So who is this? All right. So in my notes, uh, so that you don't see, uh, Bony Oyster. Of course, this is Tony Royster Tony Jr. Royster. Oh, Sabian DW should have got me. <laughs> yep. Man, he definitely has these like really mechanical mannerisms that in hindsight, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, he's... He's playing is like creepy tight at times. Not that it's without feel. That's just he has the option to go like almost like digital in his playing where it's super on grid and like weirdly almost quantized in a way or not not quantized is the right word. But like he can digitize his playing and turn himself into a robot. Yeah, He's he's a robot. He's he's a robot bred from age 12 to be a a supercomputer of a drummer. Yeah. And he's got that... um, that like seventh gear in his playing, that freakish level speed, which was kind of why I said Garska. I think the double bass was a great clip to pick. That's what threw me off so much because yeah. you don't hear double kick and think Royster by any means, but of course he can. Of course he can. Why wouldn't he be able to do that? Yeah, that, that was a really good one actually. That stumped me good. Yeah, <laughs> sweet. That, he also plays a million different setups. It's not yeah. always the same, right? Yeah, that yeah, one was the one. the what I could find was like the only kit pick of his because he started out pre-Instagram days sure. where you weren't taking aesthetic photos of your kit. And now he's on Instagram and most of his content is like memes. It's weird. Sure. It, yeah, his yeah, Instagram yeah. He's, is he's a little wild on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that bass drum on the right and then the uh, pads the on the left. The bass drum on the right, that's another giveaway. He does play yeah. that a lot. 
Yeah, I don't know if I'd like that. It's a weird one. He he does it well. Yeah, he oh, shit, he does everything well. Good God. Yeah, that was cool. That was a really good one. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we stomped him, so that's a victory for me. Chalk yeah. one up on the board for me. Oh yeah. Um, and then that'll do it for player puzzle. And we'll move straight on into Accent or Ghost. Accent or Ghost, let's do it. So in this segment, I'll present Adam with a largely debated topic among the drumming industry, a new product, or any viewer-submitted content, and we'll get some, we'll get either an approval or a disapproval, an accent or a ghost from yeah. Adam. First off, just a topic. Okay. What do you think of Rock Band, the video game, as it pertains to the drums? That's a good one, man. That's a really good question. I think... There, there's pros and cons to it for sure. I start with the pros because I think they, they outnumber the cons for something like Rock Band. I think anything that can help escort somebody from being uninterested in music to being interested in music is really, really good. And this is a, a, a you know, I feel the same way about movies like Whiplash or like anything that brings the drum industry to like a larger audience that sort of widens the appeal. I love that. I love that as an educator as well because it means potentially these are people who could at some point want to take this seriously and that they might find my videos enjoyable and my content valuable. You know, so I like it for that reason. I think Rock Band introduced tons of people to the idea of performing and playing music and potentially learning an instrument. And they otherwise may have not been interested at all. But there is a huge con here. And one of them would be that if you're just playing a video game, using proper technique isn't really, it's not really that important, right? Who cares if you're holding the sticks in a weird sort of way? And if you learned how to hold drumsticks and hit a pad with those drumsticks for two or three years playing rock band and nobody ever showed you how to sort of amend your technique in a certain way, man, you could really lock in some bad habits. And of course, as a teacher, anybody who's ever taught drum lessons before, you know, half of the battle is undoing people's habits. It's finding what they learned that was incorrect and sort of backtracking and making them relearn things that they should have learned the first time around, but they lock in some bad habits. It happens to everybody. And so I think that's one of the big, big cons is that someone who, you know, gets introduced to the drum industry or playing drums through rock band, it was probably not that serious in the beginning. There was probably no real instruction of technique. So they might have been playing from their elbows for three years or gripping the sticks way too tight, things like that. But, you know, aside from that, I think it's it's overall it's overwhelmingly a positive thing in the drum industry. Again, anything that can escort somebody from being a non-musician to being an early musician or a potential musician, I'm a huge fan of that. And one area where you can kind of see this happen was uh, years ago, 90s uh, movie Karate Kid, when that came out. There was like an explosion of martial arts um, within American culture. And I think that kind of happens when movies like Whiplash come out. And I'm sure you know, a portion of the drum industry is indebted to something like Rock Band in that this had to have created tens of thousands, if not, you know, six figures of new drummers, right? I mean, at least at least 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 drummers, people who would have never otherwise been interested are now interested in, in drums in some capacity because of those four little pads and the little <laughs> shitty maple sticks that they sent, sent along with them, you know? So um, I'm gonna have to give it the accent for sure. And uh, yeah, just watch your technique. If you ever wanna take it seriously, you're gonna have to come revisit that. So learning bad habits would be the only real con, but an overwhelming accent for sure on who, Rock Band. Who would've thought? I really thought you would've ghosted that. I, I thought you would've just talked trash and said it's just four rubber pads with no rebound, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> well, yeah, man, I mean, gamifying anything, it's, I, it, 
I guess it devalues the art of drums, but I would look at it as more like the catalyst for someone to get into drums, you know, sort of early on in there, right? It, it's not that, I guess it, it's a little annoying if that's the only thing they ever did and they had this image that they were a drummer and like, but if you're having fun, who cares, right? Who cares? <laughs> I just like the idea that someone could be not interested in drums. They find rock band and get somewhat interested and then that person eventually becomes a drummer. I could see that happening to like half the people that do it, right? So yeah, it's it's hard hard to hate on for sure. Sweet, that's so wholesome. Aw, uh, <laughs> cool. All right, next we got a, a pick from okay. Nathaniel Testa. Thank you, Nathaniel, oh, for Nick sending. Testa. He was this. on my other podcast this week on All In With Adam. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, he sent me a cool snare that he's Ooh. got. Okay, Manic. Is that's the name of the name of the company? Yep, Manic. Uh, Manic Drums. It, Whoa. Uh, custom drums. It is a seven point eight by fourteen okay. snare. Weird and size. Are these all throw-offs? Why is every lug hinged? They're supposedly it's for switching out heads very quickly, and then yeah. you do that, and then you oh. re require really minimal tuning to get it back. But I see. So you basically take out 90% of the tension on each lug with a flipping it like a throw-off. Yep. And Okay, so it is just like a throw-off, right? Because a throw-off, you still do those little micro-adjustments. You still twist the knob to fine-tune your snare's tension, but basically there's an on or off position which takes out 90% of the slack mm -hmm. in that thing. See, that's really smart. Really, really smart. I think the only immediate thing I don't like is that amount of moving parts, right? Stuff breaks, you know? I mean, I've had throw-offs break before. It's not common. Um, so this would up the weight. It would up the cost. You know, you're definitely some trade-offs for having that super fast tuning. But this does make a lot of sense. It makes a whole lot of sense. And I, the rims seem to be machined in a way to make this possible, like this was this mm -hmm. concept had to be really hashed out very early on yeah. in the build process for sure. But I like it. I like that color too. Nice like warmer wood. It's walnut snare. Walnut. Um, yeah. So that's a that's a beefy snare. I like it, man. I think I'll give it. I'll give it the accent just on a like an experimental basis because it does make a lot of sense. I mean, the throw off is a pretty proven piece of technology that seems to work just fine. Um, what would you call this thing? Like, I mean, they probably already have a name for it. Well, it's got, like, on their website, the hardware is the System 1 hardware, which I think is just all the hardware that they make. Okay. Um, but it's it's just, you can install different drum heads to give you a different sound in, like, the middle of a set. Sure. Kind of like how we had that um, dial tune snare couple yeah. podcasts ago. It's in that wheelhouse, yeah. But being able to put different heads on so you have a different sound and then just tuning it minimally to... Sure. I think a lot layers. of this, what needs to happen is that the tech needs to be normalized to a point where it's not just about buying it because of the tech, right? Like, if you're buying this snare purely because it can swap heads really quickly, just like with dial tune, if that was mm -hmm. the only thing it really had, I'm not saying it is, but if that was the case... You know, it's it's in that novelty category still. Like, I still want to make sure that it's a dope snare, that the that it's well constructed, that it actually sounds good, all of that stuff. Uh, and so, a lot of times, it's like the tech has to be around long enough that people get used to it, and they go, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, it can do the quick tuning thing. But then it's all it's back to the important stuff, which is like the the quality of the instrument, right? Mm -hmm. You know, does this actually sound good? So, I'd love to hear it, but I'll give it the accent just for for that concept because throw off. 
I mean, that, that's a proven piece of technology that's already on a snare and used all the time. So I don't dislike the idea of repurposing it. Um, you know, yeah, we just have to try it. Have to try it. Really cool, though. Really smart, smart idea. Sweet. All right. It's something I've been putting off in the next one uh, for a while. Fiverr. Fiverr. So, okay, I own some Fiverr stock. I mean, I like the company. I like the company. I like the concept. Um, it's, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one in, in some cases. You know, I've never used Fiverr for anything music related at all, because I would just do it myself, right? I've never offered services on Fiverr because I'm really outside of the like remote session work world um, and some of those like like gig-based type things that would happen on Fiverr. But I have used it for um, getting logos developed before. It's a couple other weird things I've done on there. Um, MailChimp, our like email server, I think we had hired somebody on there one time to help us problem solve stuff with WordPress back on the old website. I mean, so some like technical behind the scenes stuff. I've definitely hired some people to, um, I don't know, just to help solve certain technical problems. So there's a lot of that sort of stuff. But in the music world, it's a lot of like remote session stuff. Like I'll record drums for your album or one song or something for this amount of money. And there's this whole um, like a free market of different drummers offering their services. And I like that, man. I like this idea that you can very easily hire like a session player on this platform and then Fiverr just sort of takes a cut. It's sort of in that wheelhouse of like Airbnb sort of thing where it just empowers a bunch of people to start this business in a way that would be very difficult for them to do otherwise. So I like that. I like that it gives people this this low barrier to entry if you want to get into like the remote session world. It is definitely a little cringy that Fiverr went so far down that wormhole of like recruiting YouTubers in 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 the masses to uh, to promote their their business right they, they hit me up for that as well a lot of people have done it i'm not knocking anybody that's done that that video style but the fiverr video style is effectively that you um you post a video with something that says like i hired five people to do this thing on my song and then you basically you know, Fiverr gives you like an account credit and you spend that money. You actually pay five drummers to do something and then you review, review all of the drummers. I think that's been overdone. Um, I never wanted to do it because there was just like 25 other people that had done that exact same video style. And it, it's a really smart marketing tactic. Like, let's be honest, it, it worked really well. Some of those videos are fun to watch. I'm not trying to knock it. Um, yeah, it's, I'll tell you what, what I dislike about it. It's the same thing I dislike about Patreon. And that is that it feels like entrepreneurship, but the diet version. That's what it feels like sometimes because it, it, it limits the amount of control that you have over the entirety of your business. And sometimes people don't actually need all of the control. Sometimes something is a side hustle, right? Sometimes, um, you know, you've got a lot of different ways that you might be making money in your career and with your craft, with your skill set. And one of those ways could be getting a gig every once in a while online to record a song for somebody on Fiverr. Um, one of those ways could be having a handful of Patreon subscribers. And it's just a little bit of cash coming in on the side and you provide some value to those people. What I dislike about it is that if you ever changed your mind, and if, specifically this is a Patreon thing, but if you ever decided that I really want to go full force here, I want to make this my entire livelihood, my entire career, I'm stomping on the gas and going as far as I can. Platforms like Patreon um, and Fiverr as well, they're not going to 
the way to say it, like export your contact list for you, they're not gonna assist you in leaving the platform. So if you ever said, I wanna take all of these contacts that I've made through Fiverr, and I want to bring them to like my own, maybe not a separate platform, uh, but make them like an external clientele where you're working with them directly off of the platform. Platforms like Fiverr, Patreon, and probably some others, they're, they're not gonna help you do that because then they don't make any money. So in a way, it's sort of this ecosystem that's difficult to get out of sometimes. And I would ask anybody that, that's doing Fiverr, I would ask them this, if this goes as well as it possibly could, are you going to want to leave this platform and do this on your own one day? Because if you do, platforms like Fiverr and Patreon can be a, somewhat of a problematic stepping stone in that way. But if you like the setup as it is, where you don't mind giving Fiverr a little bit of a cut, um, and you don't want to scale this thing into infinity, if that's not where you are, and you just like this as a side hustle, and you're willing to accept it for what it is, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with those platforms at all. I would just say it's a matter of like, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? Uh, and that, that to me would kind of depend on how I interacted with those platforms. But overall, just the concept of Fiverr specifically, I really, really like it. I've used it personally for some stuff, though not music stuff. Um, I've used it for things that are just totally out of my skill set, graphic design and stuff like that. So I'll give it the accent just in, on principle, man. It's uh, it's cool. It's a smart platform. Sweet. Full accents today. Yeah. Awesome. All right. That'll do it for Accent or Ghost. That'll move us on into Sleeper Spotlight. Oh, yeah. In this segment, I'll introduce a drummer to Adam and everybody else that everybody is sleeping on. Tony Royster. We'll get Adam, Bony Oyster. We'll get <laughs> Adam's opinions, impressions, and constructive criticism, if any. Yeah, man. So, so who we got first? Sleeper number one. Drums by Jeffrey. Okay. Uh, we got a few videos. Okay, gotcha. So this is Jeffrey? This is Jeffrey. All right, Jeffrey, clip number one. Here we go. Little Latin vibes. Really good, man. Authentic, for whatever that word is worth. Sounds really authentic to me. The left foot splash. Tricky. Oh, with the trad grip. He went straight in, then. Look at his uh, figure eighting on that right hand. So clean. Cool. I love the, um, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but like the level of nerdiness to execute that cleanly and that perfectly. It just sounds like an album, right? Um, I mean, talk about an easy guy to hire. You know, if I, if I had a band that had any like Latin or jazz or swing in it, Oh my God, of course, hire this dude, right? Like it's so pristine and clean playing. Absolutely. Um, and Authentic, what I mean when I say that is I'm probably not the right person to use that word here, but it sounds like exactly what should be played in those styles of music. Yeah. It was like pleasantly predictable and that like, oh, that was the perfect fill for that. Like, oh yeah, of course you would do that little Tom thing there. Even if I don't know what it is exactly, yeah. it's just like, yes, that's what you put in that spot, right? I think the perfect word is timeless. 
very timeless. Timeless. Yeah, yeah. definitely timeless play. Which is a, I mean, a, weird, in, a weird pun. Yeah, for drums. in time. But <laughs> you're timeless. so bad, you're timeless. Yeah. you can't even measure time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That those sounds will forever be staples in drumming. Sure, they, they yeah, have yeah. To highly be. musical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was absolutely awesome. I have no feedback for you. I couldn't play that. That was sick. That was absolutely <laughs> sick. I think you're in college. It looks like a classroom. I think he. Type setting. I, I think he might be in college now but i think that was in high school because the caption from that video was like eighth period shedding (laughs) dude drop out you're all you'll be all right goodness (laughs) we got another one from jeffrey too all right all green all green here we go his other arm is there an accident of some kind mm-hmm. <laughs> there he is There's so many jazz mannerisms that I don't know. It's why it's interesting for me to listen to more traditional jazz sometimes. There's just a lot of, I mean, stickings for sure, but also like the the sound of the high toms, like toms tune really high with the sweeping, and then I don't know what it's called when the left stick is on the snare and then the right stick hits the stick, whatever that... that cross, cross sticking, uh, Cross sticking, th- I don't know if it's a cross... St- yeah, whatever that thing is, you know, like... There's a lot of little sounds and like almost like vernacular and slang-ish type things that happen in some of that more traditional jazz playing that I'm not familiar with that I don't actually play very often. So it's cool for me to listen because it's like there's just it's like listening to somebody with a foreign accent. It's interesting. Like, huh, how did you say that word? Oh, you say it that way. Like, that's weird. And then sometimes there's words from their culture that you don't even you don't even know what that means. You're just like, what did he say? Like, what is that was? What does that word mean? Right? Like, there's a lot of little things snuck in there for sure. What I like though that he opened up with um, was sort of that conversational right hand, right foot sort of thing happening, which is that sort of transcends genre for sure. Anybody who's never studied that sort of stuff, like taking rudiments and dispersing the rudiment between your, let's say your left hand and your right foot, like doing that sort of stuff, man, so many different pattern ideas open up. And he was doing a lot of that, uh, that sort of stuff, that conversational type playing. But that's also kind of what jazz is. Jazz mm-hmm. is inherently very conversational. Yeah. It's like like a transaction of words between your limbs and then you're sort of trading back and forth with other people within the band that you're playing with, but you can do it internally within your own instrument. So really impressive playing, man, really cool. Um, definitely a very organic jazz player, but yeah. What was his Instagram, Jeffrey what? Is drums by Jeffrey. Drums by Jeffrey. Go follow him, man. Definitely getting, getting slept on. That was dope. Yeah. Awesome player. Give Jeffrey a follow. Next one up, Stephen Velas Drums. Okay. Hope I'm pronouncing that. I butcher names all the time. All the time. I'm sorry. I'm going to open up a butcher shop. <laughs> um, this is the black and white? Yeah, the black and white one. Okay. Let's check it out.
Cool. Very cool. Definitely uh, quick, man. Very quick. Short one. Short one. Yeah. 13 seconds. Let's watch again. Very loose hands. Definitely gonna have to watch another clip, the next one for sure. Yeah, uh, re- really good, man. Clean, articulate playing. I like the looseness of his hands for sure. Um, that ride cymbal sounds great. Snare sounds great. But you know, it was also just one groove and one fill. So I'm not sure how much I can say about it. But uh, really cool one. Let's go to the next one from from him. Yeah, we got one more. Is that a Berkeley practice room? Yeah. Yeah. Very clean. Cool. I like that groove a lot. I play a similar kind of groove, definitely in the linear wheelhouse, but like very hip hopped out, very tightened down, not super swung. Uh, And at this weird tempo of like, I don't know, between like 90 and 100 where 30 second notes are just like, like very, very aggressive uh, 30 second notes. Is that the right tempo to make that happen? Let's watch that one one more time. Yeah, open and fill. Just listen. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, just this like clean, chopped out hip hop playing. Definitely, uh, definitely a long. That, that's my sort of wheelhouse. Like I love that style on like a personal level. It's just the kind of drums that I like to play a lot, man. Super, super clean. What was his Instagram? Uh, Steven Velas Drums. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I've never seen his playing before. Really, really clean, man. Seems like a young guy too, like nineteen, twenty. Yeah, I think I think he goes to Berkeley. They're getting um, uh, they're getting freakish at these young ages, man. Yeah. It scares me. It scares yeah. me. I should be way better than these kids, and I'm not. I don't know what happened. <laughs> they're putting us out of a job. Um, they're sick. Yeah, man. They deserve praise. Absolutely, awesome. man. Go check yeah. them out. And yeah, I, I just mentioned this too. I've talked about this before. There is. It's a new breed of people that grew up with access to the internet. And that's not just drums, it's everything. Like growing up with access to this crazy amount of information, being able to watch YouTube from age 10 and having access to all of the the drummers and the albums and drum solo videos and tutorials, like growing up with access to that stuff, it it's creating a a a generation of drummers that are just they're just fucking scary. You they're know what I mean? Freakishly <laughs> good. Freakishly good. Like there are 13-year-olds now that can outplay some of the best drummers alive 50 years ago. Some of them, right? I mean, not trying to go back far enough and like knock on Buddy Rich and people like that. Of course, there's been freaks as long as drums have been around, as long as everything has been around. But it's just insane sometimes, like watching this um the level of talent versus like the age that people are when they can become that talented it's just like shrinking it's so crazy man it's just getting yeah. wild it's really humbling like it makes you want to quit because you're like i wasn't that good at age 13 yeah like, it doesn't matter like, yeah oh it doesn't matter more power to them man yeah. i mean new breeds are coming up you know it's just uh it's fascinating sometimes seeing kids like how old are you like oh my god I am behind. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cool. That'll close out Sleeper Spotlight. Cool. That'll move us on to Q&A. These questions come from Instagram, YouTube, the forums of OrlandoDrummer.com, or you can send any of your questions straight to me at Chris at OrlandoDrummer.com. Yeah. And our first question is from Gav Little. Okay. He asks, how do you stop freezing up when playing and removing the aid of always 
counting while playing? Sure. So, t- yeah, I mean, two questions. Counting and playing is sort of its own monster. That's for sure. Um, we'll leave that one for, for later. Stopping freezing up while playing. So... One of them, one of those things is like it's an unfortunate part of the answer, and it's just exposure. You just got to do it a lot. It, it, you know, if you're in your first ten or twenty live performances or shows, dude, you're gonna be nervous. You're a human being. That's part of the deal. It just happens. Um, and one thing you can do to set yourself up for success in some of those earlier performances, if you if you're feeling kind of locked up and just having those nerves sort of control your playing a little more than you'd like. One thing you can do is just be overprepared. It's the best thing you can do to make sure that that feeling kind of stays subdued a little bit, is prepare to the point where you can do this in your sleep. Because if you can do it in your sleep, then maybe you could do it while you're nervous and it'll still turn out okay. Uh, so that's gonna be really helpful, man. Just just over-prepare for whatever it is that you have coming up. Another thing I would recommend doing, and this takes a long time to learn, I still struggle with this sometimes, but never play at the very top end of your skill set. If you're performing live, try to back everything down from like its its highest level of difficulty. If you've got a fill, Let's say you have five fills that you could play in one in the one section of a song. And one of them is the one you really want to play. It's the sick fill. It's the fastest one and it's got the weird dynamic and it's got the sweep and the crossover and, and but if you're only landing that four out of five times, dude, that fifth time when you're not landing it, it's gonna happen in the show. That's exactly when that's gonna happen. So what you wanna do is go through some other fills. This is just a weird example, but like go through some other fills and find one that you can nail 100 times out of 100. That's the one that should go in that spot. So don't select things that are needlessly difficult in a live scenario. Back that skill level down. The audience doesn't know anyway. They don't care. So just, just pick something more musical, a little bit more tasteful, and don't don't always push the boundaries of your, your current skill sets in a live setting. It's not what live playing is for. And then when it comes to counting while playing, this is one of those things that actually goes away with, with time. The longer that you count as you're playing drums, the less you end up having to do it. And a really more clear-cut example of this would be like with a metronome. Like, you always need to practice with a metronome. It's an important thing to make, make sure that you keep uh, within your practice regimen. But there's definitely a point where it doesn't feel like you're playing with a metronome even when you are. It sort of disappears into the background, and it's just not a thing that you have to put any mental energy on, you're just able to follow it effortlessly. And a good example of this would be like when you're playing in seven, eight time, everybody has to count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five. You will do that for a year until all of a sudden that becomes subconscious. It's not that you're not counting, but it's that you don't have to dedicate very much of your mental bandwidth to counting. It just sort of happens. And if you ever had to count, well, you could. You still you still know where you are, uh, but think about the easiest thing that you can play, like a basic rock beat. When you first learned that, you had to go one, and two, and three, right? You had to count to one, two, three, four, and you do that until you don't. And if I ever stopped you while you were playing and said, hey, do you know where you are? Well, if it's in four, four, you might say, yeah, yeah, I do, of course. I just hit the four on the backbeat of the snare. You weren't thinking about it, but you still had that, that map happening in your head. And so this can happen with any time signature, but it is directly related to how much time you've spent in that time signature. So if you're in year one of studying a new time signature, like seven, eight, for example, it's okay to keep counting. You're gonna have to do that for a little while, and I don't think you have to put much effort 
on ever not counting. I think it's just going to go away on its own. But you got to spend the time. It's just sort of the name of the game. So hope that helps, man. Great questions. <laughs> to, to, to remove the aid of always counting while playing, too, just look at your bass player and see where they're at. Yeah. Look at any other musician in your band, and somebody has to know. Somebody, it's hopefully. Not, it's not always the drummer, but it should be the drummer. It should be you. Yeah, that's what I was going to see. I should, you should be the reference point there. <laughs> if you're not, maybe you got a good bass player who's, who can count with you. <laughs> cool. All right, next question from Joey Sonal. He okay. asks, do you mix your drums in post to sound as close to what they actually sound like, or do you mix them to achieve a certain type of sound that you want? That's a good question. So... I mix my drums very little now. I have what I describe as a set it and forget it audio setup. So my drums are pretty much pre-mixed. I say pre, but like it is in post. So I record in, I guess you would describe that as raw, but on the channels where the drums are recording, where they're recording to, I already have my presets pulled up. Compression, EQ, reverb, little things like that. Um, it is project dependent. So for me, that would be like when we were doing a ton of different loop packs in different genres, there were... There are some loop packs that are such a specific style of music that you almost do have to mix the drums accordingly, like Chill Hop versus Cosmic Metal. Those are two different examples. Like, of course I'm mixing the drums different on those, right? I mean, I'm, I'm also tuning the drums different. I might even select different heads or slightly alter the mic placement because the genres just aren't the same. It really depends on the specific project. But with that said, I do have a home base sound and I would describe it as pretty natural. Like I don't try to really alter my drum sound in post um, to make it super unnatural. And we've talked about this in this podcast before. You know, for me, in education, this is much more important because I don't want to be deceptive in what it might sound like, you know, if I played an example of something for you and then you're going to play that in your home. If I alter my kit sound to the point where it sounds different, the thing that I'm playing, like the ghost notes are unrealistically loud or the snares are unrealistically loud, the kick is unrealistically loud. You know, you might interpret those dynamics through phone speakers as though that's how I actually played it. So I don't ever want to be deceptive with my audio because I think that is that's an integral part of of passing drum educational information um, through the internet, right? Is you, you got to make sure that your sound stays somewhat transparent and somewhat honest so people can interpret what you played accurately. So for me, that's why I try to keep that more organic sound. It does change slightly from project to project, but one of the coolest things about branding yourself as an online drummer or just creating any type of drum content is sort of the experiment that is your audio, right? Like you get to design your own sound, whether it's some big open, you know, untreated garage, like raw type sound. I mean, that's super dope if that's what you're going for. Or you can go with like the pristine studio sound, like my buddy Austin Burcham, that's his thing. Like classic, dialed, beautiful drum set sound. And I would describe myself as somewhat somewhat of like a hybrid, you know, in that this doesn't sound like, like an album. I don't try to mix my drums that way. Um, I, I mix them for phone speakers a lot of times, right? So they translate really well. So a touch of raw, definitely on the transparent side, um, but still somewhat of a really focused studio sound in a lot of ways as well. So that's how I would describe my sound. But again, part of the journey, part of the fun part is defining that for yourself and really dialing it in. So I wouldn't overthink it, man. Just enjoy the ride and experiment with it. It's one of the most fun things about working in a studio is, is tweaking that sound over time. All right. That'll end it for the Q&A segment of the podcast. Cool. Just as a reminder, you can submit all of these questions to YouTube, Instagram, the forums of OrlandoDrummer.com, or you can send them directly to me at Chris at OrlandoDrummer.com. And I'll leave it to you to close out the podcast.
So as you guys know, this podcast is now on Apple and Spotify. Maybe you're listening on Apple and Spotify. Welcome, audio listeners. Um, and I was cruising through some of the other drum podcasts that are on there because I've really never listened to a ton of different drum podcasts before. I know about some of the bigger ones. I've, I've done a handful of drum podcasts on other people's podcasts before. Uh, but I was just kind of cruising through and checking him out, and I stumbled across Tim Buell. Uh, Tim Buell's a good buddy of mine. I don't think him and I have ever met in person. But uh, we've had several long phone conversations, and he's done numerous transcriptions for us on the site, which you send to your members all the time. Um, he did three for me very recently that, that we were rolling out in some different stuff. But um, Tim Buell, he runs a podcast called Your Good Get Better, which I like that name a lot. It's, it's a dope podcast. Uh, and so I scrolled through some of his episodes, and I like it. I think he's he's a natural in the podcast world. So check that out if you're looking for another drum podcast. I really like, uh, like his setup there. And... You know, I like him as a as a drummer and as a professional, man. I really enjoy how diverse his skill set is. And that's that's a closing message that I have for you today is on this idea of really diversifying your your skill sets. I think there there's two arguments to be had and one of them would be that you can be a specialist, that it's okay to double down on the thing that you're naturally good at and just go hard in that direction for years and years. There's value in doing that, right? Basically ignoring your weaknesses and tripling down on your strengths. I think there's something really cool to be said about doing that. But I'm also a fan of when, you know, we could reference J.P. Bouvet, when you find out, oh, he's a clinician and a good drummer and he's got a lesson website, cool, cool, cool. And then you find out he learned another language to give a drum clinic in that language. Sort of like, whoa, like what a curveball of a skill set. And somebody like Tim Buell, that came to mind because not only is he a great drummer with an awesome audio setup, but he's got a really unique podcast. And then you also realize like, wait a minute. Oh, and he's a high level like transcriptionist, right? Like these are very different skill sets that he's individually worked on. And in myself, you know, I see that for, for me, it would be like audio video stuff. I have an audio degree and I've spent a lot of time in the videography world. But another one of my like sleeper skill sets that I've spent a ton of time on is video editing. You know, like I, I can edit at a professional level when it comes to Final Cut. I've spent more time in Final Cut than I have behind a drum set in my professional career. That is just a, a weird reality of this job. And I'm a fan of having these, I guess you would call them like sleeper skill sets, right? Like as people begin to learn about you, it's like, wait a second, oh, you've really diversified here and learned some other skill sets. And so Tim Buell got me thinking about that that concept this week because he's one of those guys. Like as you dig into his career and the things that he does, this is not like a one track, just a drummer. It's not even realistic to call him a drummer, you know? I don't think that's accurate about J.P. Bouvet either. You can't call that dude just a drummer. It's a lot more going on there, you know? And and selfishly, I would throw myself in that mix. It's not just drums necessarily. There's a lot of other things that go into into this job. And I it's not just me. I see a lot of people doing this that are great at doing it. So I don't know if I would give you this challenge um, for the week, but maybe for the year. Is there another skill set that you can add to your portfolio? Can you diversify yourself um, in a way that might serve you? Where if you're invited to be, let's say, in like a, a band or a project or any type of like musical project of any kind, is there something you could bring to the table that would surprise people, that would increase your value as a member of that team, of that project? If there is, if there's something you've always wanted to do that would help you in your career, but it's not quite in the drum world, you know, think about ways that you can bring that in uh, to your current arsenal of skill sets, because I've just learned that I love that in people. I love when somebody surprises me uh, with some crazy skill set that I 
I never knew they had. I just think that's really, really cool. And for me personally, that's of a high value to, to have a diverse skill set. So something to think about this week, maybe think about it this year. And uh, yeah, that's all I got for you. Anything else, Chris? Are we good? Cool. No, it's perfect. It's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. Cool, D- cool. Diversify. Diversify. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, thank you for joining us on this podcast, episode cool. seven. We will catch you in the next one. Much appreciated. Thanks for listening. Thanks yeah. for watching. Bye, Bye guys.